Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here this week because my guest is Michelle Baxter, aka The Runner's Plate, who recently achieved her long-term goal of running a sub three-hour marathon at the California International Marathon last December. And this episode is all about how she achieved that, but also about how you can go about chasing those giant, big, scary dreams and goals that you have that may take you several years to accomplish. Yes, it's possible. Consistency, patience, and hard work will get you many, many places. Michelle, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Let's dive right in because this episode is going to be a bit more um, personal story focused than I think a lot of my my episodes are because we talk a lot about your story in the context of chasing and achieving goals. Go ahead and tell us about yourself. How did you become a runner and a coach and how did you end up where you are today? And we'll talk about your sub three as a whole separate topic. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Michelle Baxter. I currently live in Anchorage, Alaska, but I grew up in Minnesota and yes, both are very cold, but Minnesota has hot summers that I miss so much and winter's a lot longer here. (laughs) But I, everyone asked how I ended up here. My husband's from Anchorage, which is how I ended up here. Um, We were supposed to, we were only going to stay a year and now 14, 15 years later, I'm still here. (laughs) So but I started running when I was 10. But at that point in time, it was just for fun during the summer a little bit. I I remember I wanted to do well at the mile in, school, in PE in school, elementary school. So that's kind of what motivated me to kind of start it. And then I, you know, did junior high track, high school, um, then ran in college. And just really in college is when I realized how much I enjoyed it and enjoyed the social aspect of it and just kept with it, not even for performance, just because I enjoyed it. And, you know, I loved how it made me feel. And it was a great outlet for me when life was, life was stressful. So here now, almost 30 years later, still running, still after it, still chasing big goals. What was your event in college? I... Primarily uh, mid-distance. Um, I really struggled with anemia in college, and so I had to do some of the shorter distances, even 400s, 800s, just because I couldn't exert myself for a long period of time. Otherwise, I'd just get so winded and so exhausted. Um, and I did some, a little bit in the 1500, 4 by 8 um, and then cross-country as well. So, yeah, kind of some mid-distance stuff. So it's interesting when I have conversations like these and talk about achieving a goal, I always like to start back at the beginning of somebody's running career because when we talk about running development, it happens on a very long time frame. So we can realistically say that you've been developing yourself as a runner to run a sub three marathon for 15 years or so, give or take, including your high school and college running. Oh, yeah, if you include high school and college, then it's, yeah, a good 20 years. 
obviously those those years have contributed to my fitness. I didn't do the long runs, the big workouts. I would just still do occasionally do some track workouts and some tempo workouts, but not so focused like they are now for me when I'm when I am training for a big race. But yeah, I mean for sure like any of that fitness is going to carry over and help you later on down the road. This past fall, fall winter of 2021, you went for your sub three marathon attempt. And it was basically like not live streamed on Instagram, but it was like live updates on Instagram. And it was, it was like the buzz of the platform. It was like, Michelle's going for it. She's going for it. What are her splits? How is she doing? And then of course you did achieve your goal at CIM in December. So congratulations. But like, it's amazing to me. And it's so cool, which is why I love the running community, how invested everybody has gotten in you achieving this big goal. Did that put any sort of weird pressure on you or anything like that? Um, any pressure, it was just, it was positive. It was, I knew so many people were cheering for me and I mean, I had tried other races to run a sub three, so it wasn't my first attempt. So I had failed three, three other times before. So I knew that, you know, even in those quote unquote failures, I still had all these people cheering for me because I had tried in August and that was my, I really thought I had the sub three in the bag at that one and it didn't pan on. I ran 301, 75 seconds short of being sub three. So at that point in time, I knew even if I, however the outcome was that day, the people were still going to be supporting me. I didn't think of it as, extra pressure. If anything, I put more pressure on myself. And so I knew that any support that my followers had, it was always positive and they were always, cause they knew how, how much work, hard work I had did. So if I didn't carry out and it didn't happen to be, get that sub three at CIM, it probably wasn't something, it wasn't that I didn't work hard enough type of thing. So it would have just been like a fluke thing. So let's back up. Where did, the, how did you arrive at this being the goal you were currently chasing? Because we all start somewhere. We run our first marathon. We say, oh, okay. That's what running a marathon is like. Right. And then you progress and you set your goals and your sights higher and higher. Tell us about your history as a marathoner and how you arrived at chasing this specific goal. So my first marathon was in 2010 and I did train for that race. I feel like some people accidentally fall into the marathon, but I was very, when I signed up for a marathon, I did want to be intentional about training for it. And I ran 346, right around 345, basically. And then at that point in time, I was trying to, trying to qualify for Boston. My nutrition was terrible. <laughs> I took in, I don't even know if I finished an entire goo, like basically one energy gel as well was all I took in. And I walked the last, probably the last 10, walked, ran the last 10 miles. So I knew that there was a lot of, a lot of room for improvement there. <laughs> My second marathon <clears throat> actually went worse. <laughs> I decided to do like a 10 day taper because someone's like, yeah, I hear that if you, you know, some people do well on like a less of a taper. So I did like a 10 day taper and I, re I will never forget running that first mile. I ran like a nine minute pace. I'm like, this feels really hard already. <laughs> so 
That was, I finished right around the same time because I didn't, I actually took in more fuel this time, but just did not do the taper the right way. Third attempt, I did qualify for Boston, figured it out, and then qualified for Boston, then ran Boston and ran another marathon in there, a couple marathons in there. And then it was, it was after that, that my coach, well, she wasn't my coach at the time. Um, but someone I had met through my blog, we both lived in Minnesota, she was, she lives in Minnesota close to where my parents are and we met up and she was the one that instilled this sub three goal in my mind. And she had, she had followed me on my blog and knew what my training had been like, but also saw room for improvement and said, I really think you could do run a sub three, sub three marathon. And at the time I um, goal was, or my uh, PR was 317. And that's, that's a good chunk of time to take off. And for someone to say, to put that goal out there for me. And, um, I just, I saw the belief in her and I had, nobody had believed in me like that. I mean, I, I mean, I loved my college and high school coaches, but nobody had like taken me aside and really helped me dream big like that. So, Shortly after that, I did have my first son. I started working with her after about six months postpartum with my first son. And then just over the course of time, whittled away and finally achieved it. That sub three hour marathon at CIM just this last December. So the how many years between your coach saying to you, I think you can run sub three. And obviously you had a couple kid breaks in there, right? Which adds to the timeline. How many years was it? between that conversation and this past December? Eight years. Eight years. Eight years. That's a long time to uh, go after. I assume you did some other stuff in the meantime, right? The shorter events and just overall fitness, but it's a long time to be focused on one big goal. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, so yeah, I had the two breaks for, with my two boys and then I did have a long injury, almost a year long injury that took me out for a while and some other little injuries here and there. So when I was in it, I didn't think it would be that long because the first, my first sub three attempt, I really, really, I should, I should have been able to run my sub three June. I was 16, but the weather, it was very, very warm day. It was like over 80 degrees and 80% humidity. And it was just, it was too warm to be racing a marathon. And then after that, I got a long injury. And then it was just, I just want to run. You know, after you come off an injury, it's like, I just want to get back to running. So I wasn't even like, I still had that goal in my mind, but I just want to get back to running. I just want to be healthy. So that was really more my focus during that time. And then had some time I ran. I attempted at Twin Cities Marathon in 2017. And once again, I really thought it was going to come together that day. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I can, you know, think of a couple of things that I could have done better, but at the same time, I'm not really sure why it didn't happen that day. 2018, I had between that fall of 2017 and fall of 2018, short-lived injuries, but just enough to not be able to train that full year and then ran New York city marathon in fall of 2018. My buildup was short. It had only been three months or so, and it just wasn't quite long enough to get to that sub three shape. Like I was close and I ended up running three Oh, 
five, I believe. Uh, and then in 2018, I got pregnant with my second son. You know, after two babies and being five years older, it's like, okay, can I do this again? Is this even possible? You know, yeah, I put it out there. Like some people don't want to put their goals out on social media and blast it to the world. Um, I guess I've done the opposite and kind of blasted it out to everyone. But, you know, there's obviously pros and cons to each each side. But I wanted all these people to come along for the journey and see, you know, it's a lot of hard work. It is possible. Share the ups and downs. Eight years was a long span, but when I was in it, there was times I was like, okay, I'm going to get it this time. I'm going to get it this time. And then it didn't happen. And then something would happen. Then it was just focused on pregnancy running or postpartum running. And so the focus wasn't always the sub three. It was sometimes, or like I said, it was sometimes it was just, I want to be able to run injury free and pain free. After having, I'm not even going to say a failed because those are such unbelievable marathon times for most people to even consider getting down, you know, 305, 304, 301. For many people, if they get close to their goal and they don't achieve it, uh, it can be a bit of a turnoff. Like, oh, I guess I'm just not good enough. Oh, I really tried hard. And yeah, I guess it's not in the cards. When the heartbreaking thing with the marathon is that it takes so long to build up properly. You can only really do maybe two a year that you have to be so dedicated to the patience aspect of this or else you're never going to see the results that you want to get. You could have given up. You could have told your coach, I guess I'm just not cut out for it. And you didn't. You kept at it. Yeah, that's probably the overachiever and perfectionist in me. <laughs> because so many people, like that 301, they're like, that's that's really good. That's close enough. Like, what's, like why does it have to be two something? <laughs> so I think that's just, like, that's just the overachiever and perfectionist in me. Um, and yeah, by all means, like those are all very reputable marathon times and I am very proud of them. For a non-runner, they probably doesn't make any sense, but it sure, it sure was worth it. Now, <laughs> now that I can say that I'm sub three and yeah, all that hard work was worth it. Going through the timeline of learning how to run the marathon, I think most people I know some, some lucky ones run their first marathon and manage to feel properly the entire time. I was not one of those people. It sounds like you were not one of those people. So like that was kind of one of the things that were fixed immediately, right? Oh, I have to feel this marathon properly. As you've gone on in your career and just becoming more experienced at this specific event, what are some of the key things that you have learned along the way that are marathon specific or just, I guess, higher volume training specific that have allowed you to get to where you are today? I will say nutrition has been a big piece for sure. Fueling before running, that has been a game changer for me in terms of staying healthy. I'm a morning runner and I did a lot, most of my runs fasted. But now I'm like, I never go without having something before my morning run. And I can say for the first time in pretty much two years, I have not had any major injuries. I've had little niggles here and there, but they're very, I stay on top of them. I go see my sports chiropractor right away and they resolve very quickly. So I think having something before running, even though I'm not hungry, even though I don't necessarily feel too much different while running, I do think that's been a game changer for me. And then feeling within 30 minutes of finishing my run, I'm very 
very dedicated to that now because in the past it would be like an hour, 90 minutes would go by and had hardly anything, maybe a, a bite or two of my kids snack, you know, leftover breakfast or whatever. So yeah, the nutrition piece has been very, very important and made a big difference in my running. Um, and then you've, I mean, people will say it's not, you're not overtraining, you're under recovering, which is, I there's think there's a lot of truth to that. So staying on top of my sleep, getting at least seven hours, ideally eight or nine hours of sleep, taking naps when I'm in marathon training, trying to, I'm not a great napper, but I try. As far as my training, um, I would say having down weeks, cutback weeks, where I build for three weeks and then take a cutback week to stay healthy and stay motivated and stay feeling good and not burnt out. Not increasing my mileage by more than about 10% each week. Now, obviously, there's gray areas where if your mileage is really low or I'm building back off a marathon, I can usually bump it up a little bit more. I guess I will say going back to the nutrition piece as well is just fueling enough throughout the day and eating enough. I, I'm pretty much eating all day when I'm running 60, 70, 80 miles a week. Uh, and I just, I don't let myself be hungry and more or less, you know, whatever I'm craving, I'll eat, you know, trying, but then also trying to think about the nutritionally dense foods. Yeah. Those are the things that initially that come to my mind. Oh, the strength, I was the strength training as well. That's also, I've not necessarily something that I've, I've always done it. And so I, but I've also always known the importance of it and trying to work on those imbalances imbalances, the weaknesses, especially glutes and hamstrings. Those seem to be chronic weak areas for women, especially. So it's trying to keep those things healthy and strong to support my running and being able to run a higher volume in my training. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I love that this is like... This is amazing to hear from you because there is no secret to this. I think it's what the takeaway is. Like, obviously, there's so much hard work and dedication that goes into achieving something like what you've done. But it's pretty much the same thing that every high achieving runner does. Stay on top of nutrition. Don't run fasted. Get enough sleep. Keep your easy days easy. Make your hard days hard. Strength train. Like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, I feel like I say over and over again. I'm sure you say it over and over again. And, like, that's just kind of exactly what it takes just on a long enough time frame for you to actually see the results. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think people get caught up in like having a secret, having, you know, Oh, because people ask me about my supplements. I'm like, there's nothing, nothing changing that. I mean, other than my iron, I need my iron. Nothing's really going to make probably too much of a difference in my running. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, and I think the pros will, and the elite runners will say the same thing is like, the strength training, the recovery, the, yeah. So it's just, and I think most runners know, I think most know what they need to do. It's just a matter of carrying it out and doing it. 
um, you know, and life gets busy and we forget about eating or we want some extra time to ourselves at night and don't get to bed as early as we should type of thing. So yeah, it's just, it's staying disciplined and disciplined enough to do those things and remember the big goal. And so, cause so much of my decisions revolve around running. I mean, in a good way, cause it's something I enjoy and something that I, you know, it's my big hobby and something that's drives me to set goals for myself to show my kids that, you know, that if when you work hard, you can achieve these things. So, you know, it's like, it's what I love and um, fortunate to be able to do those things. So you also share a lot of recipes on your blog and you must have a go-to pre-run breakfast because I know every runner has their thing. This is my default. This is always what I eat before I run. Do you have one or two things that you're like, I always or almost always have this before I run? Actually, not really. I feel I I remember I did a poll on Instagram and asked people, do you eat the same thing for breakfast every day? I want to say it was like 75% or two thirds of the people said, yes, I eat the same thing for breakfast every single day. I'm not one of those. Um, and I, right. I feel like I go through phases. So right now my go-to is the nature's bakery fig bars. I don't know. I get them at Costco and that and a cup of coffee. Um, but sometimes it's graham crackers um, before my run, like if I'm, cause I get up about 30 minutes before I'm going to run. So I don't have a ton of time to prepare anything or eat anything substantial. Um, so it's usually graham crackers, the fig bars an energy gel, my, you can, um, so those are pretty easy. And then, I mean, my main breakfast after running that changes every day too, actually. I mean, sometimes I'll go through like, a English muffin, egg sandwich phase, smoothies. I guess I've been doing smoothies, smoothies and toast with peanut butter. But actually, I'm I think I'm in the minority when I change thing my breakfast up. So even before races, I don't have the same thing either. Um, so you, I mean, if I had to pick one thing, it would probably be a bagel with peanut butter. But sometimes that is just too dry and pasty to think about swallowing. And getting done on race day. And so then I'll do something else. But yeah, so I, I think I'm in the minority and don't have a go-to breakfast. I think I've just, I've done enough races. Um, I've, you know, because I try to do most of the races here in Anchorage in the summertime. Our, our um, racing window is very short. It's, we do a one race in mid-April, but most of our races don't start till the beginning of June, end of May, beginning of June. And then three months, June, July, and August. And there's a, you know, there's a few outliers, but our racing window is so short. So I try to do as many as I can because I just, I want to get my racing fix <laughs> during that time. And so I'm, you know, sometimes every other weekend I'm running a race. And so I think it's just, I've done enough races that I know what my body can tolerate and what I can eat and what tastes, you know, whatever I'm craving that morning. So I think that's probably why I can change things up a little bit. And then, and for CIM that morning, it was, those are a little more logistics because I knew I was going to be in a hotel room. I 
I don't even think there was a fridge or a microwave in my hotel room. So I knew it was going to have to be dry, you know, like a bagel, a fig bar, something that didn't need, I didn't need to heat up like oatmeal. Um, and so I had to keep those things in mind for CIM that morning. So that was a little more planned out, but also knew kind of what I can, what my body tolerates and what I would want that morning. So in the buildup to, which race did you do in August that you ran 301? It was a race here in Anchorage. It was, it's the Run Fest. The race series is a Run Fest, but Humpy's Marathon. Humpy's is, it's a restaurant in town. It's named after the salmon, after they spawned out, they give humps on their back. Um, so that's Humpy's Marathon in August. It's a smaller race. I think there was like 300 people in the marathon. Um but Bart Yasso and um, Bart Yasso comes up for it. And, um, oh, Jeff Galloway. So, <laughs> so we've got some celebrities that come up for it every year. So that's kind of exciting. That's I did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah. Did you get a picture with them? Um, or of them, no. like from afar, like zoomed in? <laughs> no, but um, Bart Yasso did, when I, I ran it pregnant, I ran the 5K pregnant. Two, three years ago and he's like and we have michelle baxter here from, who's like seven months pregnant and running the 5k <laughs> so, but um how different how different a few years can be right <laughs> yeah, yeah right so yeah that was just this um that was my marathon in august and yeah i really thought i could run a sub three there um it was it's a pretty hilly course. Like it's not, it's right around a thousand feet of elevation gain, which I think is close to what Boston is. Um, if you know, Boston's weird. Cause it's, it's in Boston's a net downhill, but it has a significant right. amount of elevation gain. Right. Um, a thousand feet for, I mean, that's, it's not like, Oh, that's hilly, but it's like, that's not, not hilly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how, what I would say, but there was like, there was part portions where it's flat, but there's definitely some rolling hills. And I think that's those slowed me down. It's a smaller race. There wasn't a lot of people to run with. There's not a lot of people out cheering. Our races are pretty small here and they're in wooded areas where it's, you a spectating was hard to get to. So yeah, it was just, yeah, it just, it didn't come together that day. And it was, I was, it was pretty, I was pretty bummed about it. Um, but also I, even at that time I knew I had planned to run CIM. So I knew I had another chance. I was hoping to kind of get the sub three done with there. So I didn't have to worry about it as much for C at CIM. Thankfully it all, it all worked out okay in the end. Did your training change significantly from one cycle to the next, or did you just kind of rinse and repeat? CIM? Um, it did change a little bit. Um, the time in between my August marathon and CIM in December, um, I was my coach took on a, she got a different job and wasn't able to work one-on-one -on -one with athletes. So I did self-coach those three and a half months in between. Um, I did more long runs. I did more 20 plus long runs and I did a 24 mile long run. And then I did bump up my mileage. I did a, do a hundred mile week, a 90 week and a hundred mile week. And going into the August marathon, I, I had topped out like, I think low eighties. Um, so that's a, that's a big bump. Yeah. I've done the, into the nineties and then I've done a few hundred mile weeks 
pre-kids. Um, and so, yeah, this was the first time after having kids to do a hundred mile week. So yeah, it was, it was a jump, but not something I have done in the past. And then I just made a, you know, slowly a gradual increase in mileage. Um, and then take those down weeks as well to keep, to stay healthy. Yeah. Adding more mileage, more volume for sure. And then I, some of my workouts, a little bit bulkier workouts and a couple in my, in a long run or just in a training run. So I think for a lot of people running a hundred miles in a week is shocking. (laughs) Um, and it's one of those things that you don't get there overnight. You don't get there even in one or two years. This is you need to you build up over the course of years to be able to sustain that kind of volume. And it is, unless you're an elite runner, this is like a peaking volume, right? One week here, maybe one week there, lots of recovery. But running 100 miles a week when you're a three-hour, sub-three-hour marathoner is a lot different running 100 miles a week if you're a four-hour marathoner. Roughly how many hours of running is 100 miles in a week for you? Ooh, I'm trying to think back to my Strava. 15 hours, like, yeah, 15 hours. I think I did three doubles that week. Yeah, three doubles. And then that was my week, the 24 miler, a long run. It help, it's easy to get to 100 miles a week when 25, 24% of your volume is in one run. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, probably close to 15 hours, which, I mean, then you have, then you have the time getting ready and then the time post running and, yeah, it really adds up. <laughs> and all the time eating. I imagine you ate a lot that week and also the next week. Yeah, I don't feel like I ate that much more than I did when I'm in the 70s or 80s. I mean, I probably maybe did, but I don't I don't remember like a significant like feeling significantly that much more hungry because your body, you know, as you know, your body will adapt to the higher mileage. This is something that I'm going to say that I really dislike about some facets of the um, online running community in that people have opinions about how much other runners should be running in a week. And I think if you are capable of running a hundred miles in a week without hurting yourself, first and foremost, that's awesome. And you should do it if it makes sense for your training. Has anybody said otherwise to you so I can find them and give them a, an online beatdown? <laughs> Fortunately, nothing is standing out in my mind. I've had very, very nice followers. I only every once in a great while, it's been like <clears throat> one of my reels went viral and I had some negative comments there. But it's like people that don't even follow me. You know, it's like they haven't seen the whole story. So, no, fortunately, I don't, I, nothing is standing out in my mind that nobody said I should be running that actually I, if anything the the one of the PTs in town who I saw when I first I did like my first 100 mile week he said he was like you don't need to be running 100 miles <laughs> I mean I will give him the credit the credit and say that I definitely I injured myself like I think that's kind of what contributed to my high hamstring injury um just and it wasn't strong enough to sustain that much volume at that point in time. Um, so this was several years ago when you were first like nine years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, no, uh, most people have been very kind and I can't, yeah, I can't think of anybody who has said that. And I will say the same thing. Like if as a general rule of thumb, I'll say, you know, 
if you can run the miles, more miles usually going to help you in the marathon, the longer distances. Now, obviously that's, everyone has a different tipping point and everyone is, you know, not everyone's lifestyle can support that or for a variety of reasons, but generally, yeah, if you can do more miles, that's will often help you in the marathon or long distances. I mean, it's really running as much as many miles as you can handle, but everybody's like you said, tipping point is different. Some people, some people can genuinely only handle running up to maybe 45 miles per week, yep. or maybe if it's less than that, or some people, obviously we have plenty of elite and sub elite runners out there who are 110, 120, 130 miles per week routinely, and they can handle it. Yep. And it's all about just differences. Like you said, all those factors to consider what, how everybody is different in what they can handle yeah. in their training. I mean, I even just looked at Kira D'Amato's Strava and her, her top, she topped out at like low eighties for the marathon. And I was, I thought for sure she would be running more, but she is a full-time realtor and has, is a mom of two. So, you know, for what, whether it's, lifestyle or whether it's her body can't handle more. I mean, that I think that says a lot that you can still have an American record on 80 miles a week. <laughs> so that's unbelievable. There's been so much buzz about who's going to break it, who's going to break it. And then out of, not out of nowhere, cause she's not out of nowhere. She's a supremely talented runner, yeah. but I, I think this was a surprise for many people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I know she had talked about it, I, and I'm trying to remember if it was on a podcast, I listened to something. I remember hearing buzz that she was like, that was one of her goals going into this race. So yeah, it was obviously a goal for her. Um, but maybe not a lot of people knew about it. So yeah, definitely. She kept her big goal under wraps. She didn't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the anatomy of when a race goes really well, because it's a different experience if you run a marathon and it went okay, or if you run a marathon and it went poorly, when you run a marathon and everything clicks, it's a completely different experience. Was, was that how CIM was for you? Did you feel good for mile one or did you have to really push through and struggle a little bit? Fortunately, I did have a nearly perfect race, but at the same time, like at mile eight, when at mile 10, when things have gone well, when they are going well, you still don't know. Like, what if something happens? Like, even like tripping and falling or missing or dropping a goo. I mean, that's probably, you can probably figure something out because they did have hydration and energy gels on the course. But fluke things like that, you know, it's like the whole time I was running, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling good. Things are going really well. But I don't know. Like, I don't know if something, if I'm going to, all of a sudden I'm going to cramp up, even though I've never cramped in a race before, you know, things like that. So it's like trying to enjoy the moment, but also being a little bit worried what's down the road. I would say by mail about mile 20, I was feeling quite confident that I was going to be able to pull off the sub three because going through the half, I went through the half in 130.08, but I also knew, you know, I knew I had to pick it up just a little bit. And many times I've hit mile 22 and hit that wall. And that, I think that's what also subconsciously it's like, am I going to have to slow down? Am I going to hit that wall at mile 22 like I have in the past? So just trying to stay positive, uh, just because things can change so quickly in the marathon and it's a long ways. It's three, four or five hours of running and trying to push your body to perform. Yeah. So at mile 20, I was pretty confident and then just kept checking my watch, <laughs> trying to do math, which is 
which is not, which is hard to do when you're, when you're running. <laughs> so that I was like mostly caught up on the elapsed time of the race and then trying to figure out splits. And then there's that extra point too, that makes it a little more difficult to, <laughs> cause I was like doing seven minute miles, like worst, okay, worst case scenario, seven minute miles, but then there's that extra point too. And then you always run more because I ran about a quarter mile extra. So yeah, that's, it's, it, it's hard. And it's like, it's not a short little 5k where you can pretty much, you kind of know, but there's a lot of miles in a marathon where things can go wrong. Um, first time I have negative split in a race. And even with a bathroom break at mile like four or five, um, which took about 30 seconds. I added about 30 seconds to my time. So I never got, fortunately, I never got to a bad headspace or a bad or something was hurting. Very, it was a good, by far my favorite race and not even the time, finish time, but just feeling good the entire time. Do you have any mantras or phrases or sayings that you repeat or say to yourself? I I don't find myself a little bit the mantras. I mean, I've like, for one of my marathons, my coach is like, just one step in front of the other, one step in front, like, you know, one step in front of the other. Um, for this one, not, I don't always necessarily mantras. I think back to hard workouts I've done where I either like, it was freezing cold or super hot and times when I would just struggle a lot of times just because of the elements and, and where I was able to push through and I show approve to myself that I'm, I am strong. I can do this or just thinking about my family. And I mean, how, I was going to say how much they've sacrificed or just like how much they've been there to support me. And yes, I mean, some, my husband's had a sacrifice this time to watch the kids type of thing, but um, how much they've supported me and, you know, running this for myself, for them, things like that. So not necessarily yeah, traditional mantras, but thinking times I've had to push through or just people who have been there to inspire me and kept me going type of thing. So kind of like, um, apart from your family, more of like, trust the training, like you've done this, you trained for this, mm -hmm. you've suffered, you suffered enough. <laughs> You should be able to do this sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've had times when I've am running with other people and thought there are probably because I know how, I know how much the volume of my training, even for most other people, even other sub three or right around three hour marathoners. I mean, I'm thinking I don't mean to like to my own horn, but I think I do a lot, a lot, a lot hard training, and I've trained a long time, and so just reminding myself how much hard work I've had to do to get there and that I've probably worked harder than, you know, a lot of other people out here today. I mean, but that's, that's also because I just, I have, you know, obviously have some natural talent, but not a ton. Like I same, same for when I was in school, you know, I really had to work for my grades. It didn't come very naturally. So just to put that hard work effort into it and just know how much I've had to how much it's I've had to devote to this goal of mine. The doing something you've never done before aspect of the marathon really freaks a lot of people out. And something that I coach my first time marathoners on not, or try to coach them through is their anxiety around 
running a distance they've never run before at a pace they've never been able to sustain for that long of a distance. And it really, really freaks some people out. Like they cannot fathom that they're going to be able to train for something yet never do it in training and then be able to go out and do that on race day. You've obviously done enough marathoning at this point. Do you have any advice for people who might be feeling that kind of anxiety around their training and their racing? Uh, just know that it freaks us out. It freaks me out too. <laughs> no, I, because honestly, like I know, you know, I'll do two by five miles at goal marathon pace, but that's only 10 miles. That's not 26.2. So it's, it always freaks me out. Uh, going into marathon, I'm like, how can I run whatever pace, you know, whatever my goal pace is for that amount of time? And cause yeah, nobody ever runs. I mean, unless you're Sarah Hall, <laughs> nobody runs more than 26 miles in a training run. <laughs> I mean, I remind my athletes too. It's like the taper. That's why we taper. That is why we do a carb load. That is why, you know, we do all these things to help prepare. And yes, it's very, very scary. But I promise you um, that it can be done, and with the right with the right approach, it it is possible. But very scary when you're going into it, for sure. Can I ask what your preferred taper length is now? So it's clearly not ten days. <laughs> I usually do a three week taper. <laughs> yeah, I mean those for that first week is a moderate. Is still pretty intense, still fairly high mileage. And then once you get into that second week and then of course the last week, but yeah, yeah. Usually a three week taper is what I do now. So let's talk about setting these goals and going after them, because I think we've pretty much outlined that it takes a lot longer than you think to achieve some of the really big goals that you go after. It takes really just going back to the basics and just doing them consistently over and over and over again. When you work with your athletes or just when you talk to people about goal setting in general, what do you, what do you see most often? People who set goals that aren't ambitious enough are too ambitious. The time frame is off. Usually, that their goals aren't ambitious enough, and uh, I and that's why I love what I do because I get to put a little bit of fire under people's under people and be like, no, I think you can do this. I think this is should be your goal or. Yeah, and set the bar a little bit higher for them because yeah, I think people go into they just set the bar too low, and it's not that they for one I don't think they really know what they're capable of, and then two, it's like they don't want to fail or be let down. I know my husband did this like in school. He would he's like I'm gonna shoot for the B or the C, like shoot for the C. So that if I, and then if I get the B or the A, great, but, you know, knowing he was very capable of, if he didn't, if he was on a bad day, he'd get the C. And so it's like, just set the bar low so that if you do better, then you feel better about yourself. So I think there's that aspect. Yeah. I think people just don't even know, you know, especially like a first time marathoner or someone who's running their first race. Yeah. It is hard to know, but for most of the time, I think people just. I think they set the bar too low. And then I'll, and I will say, yeah, sometimes too short of a, a time frame, not realizing how long it'll take. Yeah. And it's tough. And I, I mean, I would agree with the same thing. It's usually the first round of goals 
are fairly low hanging fruit. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, yeah, we can probably accomplish that in maybe a year, mm-hmm. maybe 18 months, right? So then it's like, like your coach was able to do, you know, all those years ago and say, no, I think you can do more and really encourage everybody listening to dig deep and say, what's that one goal that you're afraid of, like we're terrified of. And maybe that's the goal that should be the big goal that you go after. Maybe it takes years to get there, but you always need something to strive for in this sport. I, and I asked my athletes when I first start working with them, I have about a dozen questions I ask them and I say, you know, I ask them what their goals are. And then I ask them, what's your big dream goal? And so that, and not only that helps me motivate them or keep in, for them to keep in mind what the big goal is. But then um, for me, when I'm writing their plan, it's like, okay, this is like the short-term goals. These are the big long-term goals. Cause that, you know, it plays a role in how I structure each of my athletes training plans. But yeah, that having that big goal and, and for a lot of people for, I'd say for some of my athletes and for people, you know, it might be running a race or a half marathon or marathon in every state. I say that one a lot. And so obviously that's going to take a long time um, to accomplish. So, or running all the six major world marathons, although maybe seven shortly here, I don't know having those big goals and, and being dedicated to them. I mean, of course life gets in the way and life changes, but if that's truly your goal and that's something you want to accomplish, let's, let's figure it out. How are we going to accomplish that together? And I also think it's important when we're talking about endurance events, endurance training, it's really, really important to embrace the process. I will admit training for endurance running events can be fairly monotonous, especially as your volume climbs, you're going to be doing a lot of easy effort running. You're not going to be doing workouts every single day. You're not going to be doing sexy things all the time. And you're going to have those down weeks. You're going to have runs that feel bad, but that's all part of it. Like if you can't embrace what it takes and learn to love that process, it's going to be that much harder to get to where you want or impossible to get to where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that process. It has to be, I mean, of course, yeah, not every day is going to be butterflies and rainbows and sunshine, but <laughs> I mean, even today we're in running, I'm like, you know, part of me is like, why am I doing this? Like it's, there's snow. I'm trudging along. Like just feel like I'm taking for every step I take forward. I'm taking two steps back type of thing. Cause it's just going so slow and the snow and it's cold, but it's then it's like, I look up and it's like, gorgeous day, like sunshine. It's, it was like low hanging fog. And then the mountains were sticking above the fog and this, it was sunny. It was like a pink hue. Like this is okay. This is, this is nice. This is pretty, this is worth it. Um, and I know that I'm going to feel so much better after I'm done. So yeah, it's, it's hard stepping out that door and people ask how I, how I run in the winter time. Like how do I get, have the motivation and, it has to be, it has to be the process. It has to be that big goal. I mean, that's honestly what it, what it is for me. And it may not be the same thing for everyone, but you're going to have to figure out your why and what drives you. And yeah, that process, you have to enjoy that process. So this might be way too early to ask you this, but do you have any other goals that you're trying to go after in the future? A very common question. <laughs> What's next? What's next? Everybody wants to know without you just savor your accomplishment. You're like, people back off. Come on. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, I, I totally get it. And it's like, I'm definitely like savoring it and still looking a few, to the future because I mean, even 
I could have just been like, nope, I'm done running. And like, this is good. But <laughs> it's that running addiction. It's like, it's too strong at this point in time. I'm never going to, I'm never going to stop. Um, I would like to bring down my half marathon PR, which it's slightly faster than my marathon PR. Um, you know, VDOT calculator. But that I feel like that's more my strongest, like my strongest suit, my strongest um, performances is a half marathon. So trying to bring that down a little bit. Um, there aren't a lot of fast halves in Anchorage here. The fastest one is probably at the end of May. So really that doesn't give me a lot of time. I, I got to get some speed. Going to the track on uh, Wednesday to do some speed, some 200s and 400s and work on that. And then, um, I mean, sub 255, like, why not? Like, <laughs> just trying to whittle it away and see if I can do it. Uh, I did a little, uh, in my blog post when I recapped CIM, I broke down the splits and, you know, took it. If I had been able, if I had run exactly 26.2 miles and I hadn't had the bathroom stop, what would have been my pace been? And it basically was a 255 um, time overall finish time. If you know, you can play with those numbers a little bit, but I mean a little bit, I, if anybody runs exactly 26.2 in a marathon, that's, that's very impressive. Um, which it's even the pros, they run extra. So, um, trying to, yeah, just, I mean, why not, why not go try to go sub 255? Um, the OTQ, goal that's way out of my wheelhouse like I know how hard how hard I've had to work to get here and that's just especially now since they lowered the standards so nothing like that nothing um that won't ever happen which is fine and they lowered it's, it significantly it went from 245 to what is it two there was a two, 237 yeah I thought yeah. especially after the last trials I was like I know it's going to go down a little bit but right. they really I mean that's a huge winnowing of the field but hey people could rise to the occasion now there are a lot of really talented um runners in this country I'm sure somebody yeah. is going to be motivated by that goal oh yeah yeah for sure yeah and then um we have a lot of our local races it's fun to do well at them so just to try to do well at the local races here this summer and you know placed high in those so that's kind of my goals um for right now, that's what I've come up with. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's a good variety of goals at all levels. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. And Michelle, I said before that you have, obviously you have a, a blog and you've mentioned it a couple of times and you're also a running coach and you're on Instagram at the runner's plate. Tell us about your business and your coaching and what you do. I have been coaching. I have my own private coaching business that I've been had for about eight years now. Uh, so I work one-on-one -on -one with, with runners and I have a variety of runners. I have five hour marathoners. I have people who aren't run, interested in running the marathon. They just use me for accountability, for keeping up with their weekly runs. Um, but I work one-on-one -on -one with virtually with those individuals. And I also, I do coach uh, in person through the local running store. I look at the, work at the local running store here in Anchorage, Skinny Raven. And then we also have our training groups that meet couple, twice a week. And I will coach people in person there. So that's also 
a, it's a great way for me to get plugged into the running community here. And then it's, it's a different, it's a different dynamic coaching people in person, but that definitely helps when I'm coaching people virtually as well. So, and then I have my blog that I've been blogging for 11, almost 12 years now. Then my Instagram, the runners played where I, right now I'm sharing a lot about winter running with gear, footwear, how to stay motivated, things like that. So that, yes, all those things can be very busy. Well, the lower 48, we're being blasted by some Arctic temperatures right now. So I know a lot of runners will probably benefit from the just normal conditions that you run in every winter <laughs> and how we have to learn to adapt. <laughs> I mean, Anchorage, I think our average is like 20 to 25 degrees. We don't get the wind chills that the Midwest does. Like in Minnesota, when I was there, when it was negative 27 degrees with the wind chill, um, so fortunately I don't have that. It's really the duration of winter here and then running on packed snow and ice all year or all winter. That makes it tricky and difficult. Um, but yeah, inevitably there's always a period of time when it's warmer here and the East coast or Midwest gets blasted with like single digits and very cold temps. But yeah, just know that there is gear out there for you to run outside. If you choose to, if you want to, I I can tell you what what those pieces are and outfit you so that you can keep doing what you love. Yes, you have great winter gear recommendations. So everybody should check out Michelle's page for that. Do you have a personal floor of like I will not run outside if it is below this temperature or it's these conditions? No. No? No. I'm going to tell you mine. Mine's zero. If it's below zero with wind chill, I'm staying inside. I mean, I will say conditions will be if we've gotten a bunch of new snow that just, I mean, a couple inches, it's okay. But I mean, it was Veterans Day. We got 12, maybe pushing 18 inches in 24 hours. And it's just, then it's like running on a beach. It's like, there's no traction. You're plodding through snow. That's, that's not worth it to me. It's just, it's not even fun. So that's when I go to the treadmill and then I do all my speed work, fast workouts on treadmill, or we have an indoor track that we can use. Like I might be, if I had clear drive pavement, I could do it, but it's covered in snow and ice and you just physically can't even run fast. Tips for winter training. Their treadmill is your friend listeners. <laughs> there is a, there is a, a place for the treadmill for sure. Time and time and place. And exactly. no matter where you live, there's always a one bad season for training outdoors, whether it's the heat and the humidity of the South or the winters of the North. So no matter, I mean, unless like Southern California might be the exception. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your time and your experience and your journey with us. I get to talk to people like you and learn from people like you and hopefully share some of your knowledge with people who are looking up to you or wondering how do you get to be somebody who can have their very first marathon be a 345 and then get to running a sub three because it is possible. Many things are possible if you put in the work and are patient enough to get there. Yeah, I just think about, um, and you know, no matter what your time is, like, take away my time, just like, just the fact that I'm getting out there and running in the cold, you know, that motivates people I know. So whoever you are, you know, if you're a middle of the pack runner, you're inspiring somebody else. 
whether it's your a friend of yours or a, a family member, like you can have a presence on social media and motivate people just by sharing your run. Just the fact that you're getting out there and doing and running and doing what you love that motivates other people and people are inspired by that because inspiring other people and I don't think people realize how much they're inspiring other people just by getting out there and moving their body and setting a good example for their kids or their friends and family. Absolutely. I would absolutely agree with that. Well, Michelle, thank you again. If you want to find and follow Michelle and read her blog, her Instagram and website are going to be linked in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see what you do in the future. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.